Hi, my name is Mike Blakeman. I'm CEO of, of Visual Globe. And with me today is Trevor Chandler, our CTO for our technology and, and what we're doing today. So I know, Bob, you wanted us to share what our vision and what we're trying to do with our experience and, and solutions. And we'll be talking more about that technology here shortly. The thing I wanted to do before I went into the intro, which I typically do, is you guys have created an ability to solve some particular problems. And you were working in the utility space and then we had the pandemic come along and you guys took it adjusted and adapted to also solve those problems. So if you would, in a short sentence or two, talk about what problems or benefits you bring to the utility space and then also talk, if you would, about the, the benefits that you're bringing to the safety of the community in the COVID timeframe. I'll just give a brief overview of what the companies are doing today and what we're about to do with the, uh, the wellness program. Uh, and then I'll let Trevor uh, go into uh, the details of the technology and his experience with artificial intelligence. The company really is strictly focused on data and information that we receive from our customers, regardless of the market we're serving. Today, we're serving power and telecom. But the information that we receive, it's all about taking raw data and converting that to information. And then we convert that, that into insight and actionable items that they can uh, react to. And this has been on extracting uh, information out of uh, images that we collect on the distribution poles for telecom and power, and the ability to go out to the field and, and capture transformers with infrared technology to determine the heat, to be able to determine if those assets are healthy. So we're really, as a company, Digital Globe is focused on physical assets that you can see on Earth and to determine their wellness and condition and their maintenance and what needs to be handled and what needs of decisions need to be made in order for something to be reacted to or, to, or, or supported by others in, in the field. So right now, our contracts are simply going out and doing auditing of poles uh, on the transformers and, the, and those who are attaching their, cell, their uh, equipment to the poles and be able to pull that information right out of the uh, images based upon artificial intelligence and automated feature extraction. So let me just move it over to Trevor. And Trevor will talk more about the technology as it relates to what we're doing. And then we'll move into what we see as a great opportunity for people to get back to work using our technology. Okay, Trevor, before I hand it over to you, we've done the intro really different this time for Business Leaders Podcast. And again, I'm your host, Bob Rourke, Business Leaders Podcast. And what we're really going to go through here is there's a benefit from this company, first in the utility space poll and equipment and monitoring and, and creating intelligence from the data extraction. And we were issued the COVID pandemic and basically data extraction and looking at heat signatures and so on mapped nicely over to the software and the potential needs that are coming from Visual Globe as it relates to distancing and face masks and temperature reading and so on. So that's what I wanted to leave you guys with to start with as far as the listeners go. And Trevor, please proceed. Sorry. Great. So, Bob, we were extracting insights from pixel-based media, images of power poles and transformers, and creating all kinds of important insights for these companies. And when the pandemic hit, uh, we really went to the core of our technology and started thinking, what can we do to help people get back to their jobs? What can we do to help keep people safe? Really, what can we contribute to the humanitarian side and have some value here and see what we can do to help out? So our technology did transfer quite well. For us to determine if a transformer on a power pole is within a particular heat or to determine if a person has a fever, for example, uh, those are very similar things. Uh, we are already doing location-based type of insights, so we could track locations of where things are happening and whatnot. Uh, we're very good at grabbing information without violating privacy. 
but still being able to use that information for helpful things. And for the pandemic, it's all about making sure people are social distancing. It's about seeing who has symptoms and not just when they walk into a building to check their fever, but to check their fever in different areas across different locations to understand what areas they work in. So if somebody starts exhibiting symptoms, we can detect it before too many people get exposed and we can even tell what areas the person was in. So without going into any privacy issues, we can alert in certain areas to let them know that there may have been exposure. So we have a whole set of these types of useful features. I say the core of it is doing computer vision, artificial intelligence with RGB cameras, just regular camera images to detect people where they are, then thermal sensors to detect their temperatures. But we also could take data from any data source, like text-based logging from USB thermometers or remote infrared thermometers. We can listen for coughing, sneezing. We can do a wide variety of these types of insights, store it all on a map, and we can create triggers such and such. If this person was within this distance of another person, then send an email, beep a speaker, send a text, play an audio file, etc. I'd say the main features are thermal detection for temperature. So we do facial recognition to detect the face. And then on multiple points, we go ahead and grab the temperatures and then average across all of the points to make sure that um, we're very accurate. Don't forget to mention the mask detection. Yeah, that's one of the, the core ones as well. So face covering, mask, that type of thing. So we can discover a face. Uh, we're very good at detecting eyewear, mouth, facial expressions. In fact, we do full-blown emotion detection for uh, intent recognition and things of that nature. But for this, pl for this particular situation with the COVID, thermal then sounds, tracking where people go without identifying particular people and breaking privacy laws or concerns, face coverings. We could even track eye coverings like eyewear. So the COVID is getting spread largely through nose. It's getting put in people's nose. And one of the second causes is rubbing the eyes or particles in the air getting into the eyes. So we see eye care and masks both as being important. I was thinking it's just applications. So I'm the business owner and I'm listening go like, wow, I've got my normal cameras for security in my building. I don't know if I have a thermal scanner. I probably, I would imagine that if they don't know, they don't. So for the business owner that's listening and you go, you know, I'm going to try to take and go back to take care of my employees as they return to work. Are you guys in the, the camera business or are you guys in the data business? We're in the data business. And the cameras, we can utilize any camera they have, RGB, just regular cameras. And if they don't have thermal, it's best if they get it. But if they don't get it, we can use other forms like uh, remote IR thermometers. Maybe they post their security guard and they do remote thermometer, uh, remote thermometer readings. Or maybe you give each employee a USB data logging temperature stick. And we configure all those devices so we gather all that information. We want to focus on the data side of things. Okay. We don't want to be in the hardware. We don't want to be installing. We want to be agnostic towards the, uh, the types of sensors, RGB cameras, security cameras, and thermal sensors. So we're, we want to be completely independent from those. I think about when I talk to my father-in-law and he talks about background noise and his hearing aids. 
right? And you kind of go, if you get in a really loud restaurant or somewhere, you've got background noise, that, that mass. So for you guys, if you were taking and doing work either in a casino or in a meatpacking plant, I think about the chips and I think about the noise and I think about any of the other. Can you guys discriminate between the background noise and the signature noises you're looking for? Absolutely. And uh, we have many different ways to do this. We do depth. We could do software-based depth detection inside of a camera so we could tell how far everything is. And one technique we'll do is we'll do a depth sensing software run on an image or frames in a video. And we could do this in real time, by the way. And then we'll turn it into a color map. And then we'll use different color detection techniques. So that is just one of the ways that we split distance. Another thing we do is we take objects that are in the scene and then we perform distance calculations, distance to pixel, take into account the distance of the camera from the objects they're taking. And in essence, we create a bunch of little rulers of objects. We identify a lot of objects in the scene that have a known size and then we calculate based on the layers, the distance, and then we can use those objects as rulers to have very precise measurements, sometimes down to millimeters. This is something we do on power poles all the time. We detect wires, their gauge, what type of connector they're inside of. So it translates quite well to being very accurate in real time, even dealing with multiple types of sensors in very busy environments. You know, Mike, I wanted to shift gears just a little bit. What type of companies own utility poles and what benefit what benefit do they derive from this data gathering and discrimination that you guys do for the utility pole business? Well, the utility poles are owned by various type of companies, whether it's telecom or power, and even, even government-owned poles. So what we're doing there is simply reaching out to those, those companies and uh, explaining that there's a better way to information, be able to identify uh, features that's never been done before. And so we're learning today that the companies are coming to us saying, no one's doing what you're doing today. And you're the first. So we're, we're certainly in, in a great position. But what we really want to do is see the, uh, our technology ap- apply to those who want to get back to work. And we really see it in markets such as opening up doors. The biggest threat is, is getting people back to their offices, one. Then you're going to have the, the mass transit issues where there's going to be large gatherings, whether it's transportation, air, or uh, uh, large gatherings such as church and uh, other type of gatherings that did occur. But we, we want to get people back to work and be able to help these clients on the back end in terms of the workflow process. What is, what is it they want to accomplish during this sequence of events? We know we can gather the data. We know we can connect to the data. We know we can pull information out. But what do you, as a, as a company owner, what do you want to gain from this? The thing is, if the owners of companies are going to look back and, and, and tell their employees, we're making your place safe. We're giving you a sense of security. We're trying to, we, we're looking out for you. So there's some kudos or some goodwill going on with the employees when they see themselves going back to work, not being at risk. But I also see the opportunity to the sporting events, whether it's getting them into facilities just so they can practice, getting people back to work in manufacturing, pharmaceutical companies, getting their people back to work to, to manufacture and distribute. So we're seeing a lot of that type of opportunity Right now, we're seeing people come forward to us and say, I just people back in their offices, and here are my requirements to do so. Bob, if we could revisit your original question real quick. In the power pole business, the insights we gather, there are situations constantly where there are attachments on a power pole 
that nobody knows about. And money is owed to somebody. So either somebody isn't paying or somebody hasn't collected. And when you're dealing with hundreds and thousands or millions of these polls, one simple mistake sometime can result in tens of millions of dollars. And so that's one side of it. We come in, we identify who's using what polls, what services are being used, and we notify companies they didn't even know that they forgot to collect $15 million over here. The other side of that is violations. There are violations that due to how difficult it is to get these insights from so many polls, the phone companies can't get in in, uh, compliance fast enough. And the government comes in and these people get fined. The companies get fined millions and millions of dollars and they get deadlines. Okay, you have two weeks to fix this. And if you don't, that's another $5 million. And they can't. It goes over and it repeats and they get stuck in these vicious cycles. We come in We find the violations in thousands of images. We can run probably a million images in eight, nine hours. So we find all the violations in advance. The companies can take care of them. And ultimately, they save huge amounts of money. The whole thing in general, when you take all the extra money they get by properly billing their joint use on their polls that they're forgetting to bill or don't know about, and you eliminate the violations that we've discovered for them now before the government does, it's a huge profit and violation cost reduction. That's exactly what I was heading toward is, you know, I think about, so why is a company interested? If there was a 5G rollout, Mike, you and I talked about that once before, which polls qualify, which polls don't. And if you're going to install new technology, and the thing that strikes me that's in the news a lot is supply chain issues in the food and meatpacking plants. And I think there's a great deal of fear with the employees in meatpacking plants because they're concerned of the environment that they're all going to take in and share whether asymptomatic or symptomatic. So how would you envision your technology addressing that potential issue in the packing plants? So that's a fantastic use case for us. So in that situation, we would use thermal sensors to make sure the heat at the right time was at the right temperature. So when the correct heat is achieved during the preparation of particular foods, that's when the virus is killed. So that's one major area in the preparation of the food that we can have a huge effect in. We can also, from a regular camera, just check the consistency and the characteristics of the meat or whatever food it is and make sure that it's not obviously contaminated. We actually can do this with actual size imagery, but we can also do this microscopic. So we can even put a microscope And we use these microscopes that um, are handheld. You put them on a little stand, you put them on the conveyor belt, and they can magnify up to 2,000x. And we can detect a huge variety of contaminants at that level. So to detect them and to save people from getting infected, that's one huge part of it. The other part is we can even implement inside of the manufacturing and have an alert, hook it to a quality control where that gets flagged when it detects contamination. And right then and there, it gets addressed and it it gets routed to the right conveyor belt or whatever it may be. So we have an open API with our capabilities. That's why we could go from power poles to COVID, making sure people in the workplace can go back to work. They don't have fevers or whatever. And then we can switch to making sure that the food in the manufacturing is also safe and integrate in with that type of thing as well. I think about the employees that are coming and they're so concerned. You know, I think there's a plant up in Nebraska right now. And so I've got this mental image of the entrance coming into the packing plant where all the employees typically come and go. And so there would be some level of, of imagery and data that's collected at the entrance. 
And so a quantity of the employees are asymptomatic and they have no temperature. You know, they're all the things that you look for. They're not coughing. They don't have a runny nose. And they're all wearing their mask and all that stuff. And yet you have the one or two folks that just didn't know. You know, they have it, but they don't know it. So how do you take and identify those people and then create a notification that they're not allowed to join the other pool of workers? How's that yeah. work? Yeah, one thing we talked about is using that USB temperature reading. So everybody at home would have a thermometer that they would check their temperature before they left home to go to work. So why drive all the di that distance when you had a high temperature and show up to work and then have to drive back home? So there could be some they're very inexpensive uh, temperature readings that you can plug into a USB port and be able to, to track your temperature and prevent even being exposed outside. And so, Bob, in, in addition to that, so certainly if we can get them taken care of before they come into work, then we've really won. That's the best case scenario. But if they do make it closer or into the building, we could track people. We could have an anonymous list, face tied to badge number, and we could integrate into any of the badge APIs and we could stop the door from opening. We could flash a red light. We could send a notification to the security that that badge number needs to Somebody needs to approach them and tell them not to come in. There's any level. We could be as open as sending a, an email every day, just reporting the people that probably shouldn't have gone in. And we can be every bit as strict as plugging into the badge system and not allowing the door to open. So it really depends on the owner and what they want to do and what's appropriate for privacy and federal and state law and all of that. But from a technology perspective, we can get in there at, at any level they want and enforce it um, automated, hooking into other systems or whatever we need to do there. I was thinking about these folks coming through and you may be, you may not have a fever when you get there and you may develop symptoms later in the day and that kind of thing. And there was a restaurant I heard of recently out of Chicago and they instituted a rule where every employee had to wash their hands once an hour. That's how it is. And if you didn't want to do that, you couldn't come to work. Let's say that there was a certain protocol that you established in a company. And you said, Bob, one, I want you to take and check your temperature every three hours. Two, I want you to wash your hands every hour. Could you guys set up a protocol given those behaviors and say, employee number 27, good old Bob Rourke over there is not washing his hands and notify him to get with the program? Could you do that? Absolutely. And in fact, we could set up cameras at the washing stations so we could take their temperature every time they went to wash their hands as well. So there's real, there's a huge benefit in companies that are willing to have a process. And the technology excels when it's paired with the process of safety. So you have the, you set the, the policy, which is company policy, which I'm sure would have some legal ramifications done properly. And for them, their equipment expense wouldn't be extraordinary because they're just video cameras. And then you have it tied to the badge somehow or another. And then so you've got this data stream. Then the data stream is collected there. Is the software that you guys are building, does it reside at the company or is it on the cloud? So it can run in both. So we understand that some organizations are going to want to run it or have to run it locally, especially government cleared facilities and things of that nature. So we support both. So you've got the, the software, let's say the software is on site. And so it's collecting data. And then the data, I'm, I'm the offending person again. And for whatever reason, I'm flagged. And then there's a, a sequence or notification that goes to the appropriate individual. And what data shows up at that person's workstation 
iPad or whatever. So in essence, they would log into a web application and the dashboard would be zoomed in to the locations of interest and they could have multiple. They could drag and drop them. They can configure the screens to have 12 different views on each screen. So they have the locations and then in the locations, there's markers for every place where there's a sensor, uh, things of that nature. So you have that view. Now, when they set up the system, it kind of feels like this. They set up these rules and it can be like, I want, if anybody goes through this area and their temperature is within this range, then I want to, and they can have a list based on what type of facilities they have. Send an email, shut a door, sound an alarm, play a WAV file, make a web service call. So they'll have these varieties and they'll set these things up. Uh, and once they get these rules set up, they'll be enforced. And then they have main dashboard that we can configure to have the things that are most important to them. And then each person, when they log in, they can have a personalized one based on who they are. There's also roles. So a security guard may see different things compared to like a wellness supervisor. So completely configurable and it's all rules-based. It's very logical and they can be notified and see whatever is most important to them, they can turn that on and make that the most visible. The other thing that we're seeing is the need for each company to have their own set of requirements and protocols. They're going to set their own. We're here to accommodate those. So they're going to be saying, wash your hands every hour, five hours, wear a mask, not wear a mask, temperature readings. There's a whole host of things that they're going to set as their own safety precautions that we can address from various angles but it's all about reading that those camera sensors and be able to make some decisions from that and then sending out alerts to whoever who do you want to receive the alert beyond and that the other thing is we're thinking about is it just use our technology to alert the right people so having a new person sitting at the front door front gate you don't have to do that we could be replace that person with our technology and uh, another piece is as the organization set up these rules, we're going to have metrics. We're going to know what rules are effective, which ones are not so effective, and they'll be able to tune their rules and policies for the maximum effect. That's a whole other aspect that I think is uh, often left out, even when we talk about the companies that are taking some precautions today. You know, I think about that evolution of data versus Intel. And so, you know, collect the data, massage that into Intel, then look at trends and go, if then. If we did all these protocols, then we should see a reduction in this outcome. And you kind of go, well, we did all this data. And let's say that whether it's this particular event or some other, you get an evolution where everybody's asymptomatic, but they shed, for lack of a better term. And then we talked about this the other day, that there are devices that can pick up that kind of data as well. Sure, absolutely. The openness of our system is probably one of the greatest advantages. It's very easy for us to plug in new algorithms or new equations to process. And we have a, an open API for all types of devices. We, not only can we handle any digital patterns, but we have ways to handle analog. So we have converters that will take analog patterns and we can look at them. So even analog information is useful. You know, for the folks that don't know what API is, what's API? So it's the ability for us and our software to talk to other types of devices like cameras and mobile phones and people's computers and things of that nature. For the folks out there that are going like, well, this is a little Orwellian, what do you say to those folks? I say that's why 
it's very important. And this is not just something about software that we're doing. This is a problem that the world is waking up and finding that we have to make some decisions of privacy versus safety. And for us, we don't want to make, we don't feel that we want to get involved in any political way. The software will empower a wide variety of different ways to be flexible. But by default, we have a number of mechanisms built in, like using a badge number instead of using a person's name and declaring something that something happened in this location instead of saying, Joe Smith came to work sick and got everybody else sick. And now well, let me add to that by saying that it gets to be overwhelming on the technology side. It's all what's inside that box is really insignificant to the results that you're getting. And I think that's what we got to focus on is whatever what the science behind and the technology behind it is great. Artificial intelligence learning is becoming a popular subject to talk about. Not everybody understands it, but they're starting to get it. And but what I want is is I want to see the insights, I want to see the actual intelligence, and I want to see results. I think about the, the test stations that were, were highlighted out of, the, out of South Korea, right? You had somebody in a booth with a device, and they pointed out and collect the data, and you'd see that repetitively. And so, you know, my sense of the, the privacy issue, first blush, is that somebody's going to be doing it. Whether it's a human that's doing it or a device that's doing it, for the rest of us, you know, the choices are, do you want to have folks that are repetitively re-exposed to a virus, whether we have um, immunity to it or not, or do we take it and be proactive and start trying to gather the data and use the data and as our understanding of this particular virus or the next virus uh, improves, then the quality of the algorithms to be specific will amend and adjust as well. Yeah, absolutely. And at least if we do get into this age where we have to use information. If we want to control the spread of the virus or new viruses that happen, at least we're doing it for our health instead of doing it to spy on people or any of these other reasons. Yeah, I think about the end benefit. The end benefit is we can resume life to some extent like we have where you can actually go somewhere in a group and you're comfortable that everybody in the stadium is at the same level of wellness that you are, that you can go to Las Vegas and enjoy a show. You can go to your local restaurant and enjoy. You know, all of those things, I think, are this is an enabling technology. So before I forget, which I often do, so folks that are listening and are interested in, in hearing more about what you guys are doing, what's the best way for them to reach Mike? Well, I think the best way is to go to our website, which is visual-globe.com. And we right now have a new tab called COVID that'll explain the wellness and safety measures that we have and the solutions that we can provide. But that's probably the best way to to get a good understanding of what we're trying to do. I wanted to circle back. You know, we've been talking here for a little while and folks will go, well, who are these two guys and where do they come from and why should, what are their, what's their expertise? So Mike, I thought I would start with you. You've been in this space for a long time. That's correct. I have been. It's all about digital information. You were doing work on mapping and technology and for a very long time. For 3D mapping, technology, integration of data, all about information, digital information from all sorts, from engineering to GIS to as-built and and, and things of that nature. So what we're doing is we're adding a a new flavor called artificial intelligence to that data. And Trevor, what folks don't know is I got to see your pet robot in the corner. And we're not doing a space launch. That's really some of his PCs in the background, which really are pretty cool. 
with all the colors. What about your background, Trevor? Well, I have 14 patents in artificial intelligence. I have, in the last 10 years, I've completed 150 different technology projects with the company I started uh, with no funding, and I led it to acquisition in year three, and then led it to a second acquisition for further growth. I've done work for over 100 companies. I have 13 world's first achievements in automation and very specific types of artificial intelligence. My virtual reality software is featured on Gadget Man Season 2, Episode 1, 2.5 million viewers. If you look at that episode, it was in the early days before the Oculus Rift. It was the early days of the Oculus. The DK2 was out at that time. All the software you see running in the background that they're using the, the headsets on is my creation. So really, in essence, for a very long time, I've been solving problems that people just don't think are possible to solve. And I, I do it so often that it's just kind of become the way I think. I don't go after technologies and follow them and try to progress beyond them. I kind of go in the opposite direction. I try to shield myself sometimes from all bias and then approach problems from a completely fresh perspective with, with no limits. And then I try to kind of make that happen. The point behind this podcast today is you, you and I, Mike, were on a podcast a number of months ago and we were working on, on the application and trying to aggregate all the various pieces of information on equipment and, and where it's at, and what it's doing, and what's the health of that equipment, and so on and so forth. And the utility poll opportunity showed up, and you guys have contracts for, what, half a million polls or some such number? Well, yes, we're getting uh, hundreds of thousands of polls right now. Yeah, and so, so it's, it's a viable technology that's in the field being used right now in the utility pole world. And that was going along just fine. And then we got issued this most recent once in a lifetime, every 10 year event again. And so you're now working, trying to help out. I think about what's important to a company. You got the physical assets and then you have the human capital. And right now you're going, you're, you've gone from solely working on, on some of the physical assets to try to protect and, and help out with the human capital that are coming in and out the doors every day. And I think about machine learning and artificial intelligence, and, and Trevor, maybe you could expand on this. I think folks get confused about machine learning and artificial intelligence, and would you care to expand on those a little bit? Sure, absolutely. And artificial intelligence is quite often misunderstood. So if we started artificial intelligence, it's an umbrella of a number of different technologies. Computer vision is an aspect of artificial intelligence. Neural networks are a component in artificial intelligence. And machine learning, depending on who you talk to, some people consider it a data science, some people consider it part of artificial intelligence. Personally, I use artificial intelligence as a term to explain any computer process where the algorithms used are adding a tiny bit of common sense into the equation. That's the real difference. So we've taken a step away from keywords and exact conditions, and artificial intelligence has given the computer the ability to take a little step of faith and use the common sense probably equivalent to a two- or three-year-old child is what it comes down to. So it's not always easy to get your kid to do what you want, 
But if you really work hard and you train them hard, you can get them to do some pretty amazing things. And so that's really it. Machine learning specifically is taking data and finding patterns within it and doing things with those patterns to make predictions, to make dynamic actions happen. And where artificial intelligence generally is a whole bunch of things. It's computer vision, looking at pixels and images and getting information from them. It's, it's using neural networks, which is basically a way to hold data where you hold a little tiny piece of data in millions of places at the same time. Uh, and each of them can talk to each other very, very quickly. They each only have one piece of information and they only know one thing about that. I care about one thing and I think what I think about this one thing that I'm 99% sure that I'm right or I'm only 20% sure that I'm right. That's how neural networks work. Each of these little pieces of information tell each of the other pieces what they think about the one little tiny thing they know about. And it's like the game where if you take a penny and you double it and you double it and you double it, in a very short amount of time, you have a huge amount of money. But neural networks use that same structure. The old-fashioned way is a database. You search for something. You may search for the word bananas. You may have a million rows in your database. Bananas may be on row one and on row one million. So it may take a minute for, this, for the query to come back, where artificial intelligence may learn where the bananas are and pass the information to each other. They call it propagation. So fast that in 12 milliseconds, they've found the same information or made some kind of computation. Mike, when you look at the landscape and, and working with Trevor and understanding where you think the lowest hanging fruit for Visual Globe is in the time of the COVID pandemic, where do you guys see the first adopters of your technology maybe coming from? Well, we're, we're reaching out to those. We're seeing the sporting events. We're seeing uh, those that have offices that just want to get people back to work. But we, we know there's a lot of, we we're seeing a lot of interest from a variety of different markets. But I think the, there's just the office building is probably the number one, getting people the door and, and have them uh, go to their desk safely. But we see an expansion in, in so many different areas. And so with this technology that Trevor has developed for, for Visual Globe, we're seeing the ability now to take what we have and apply it to their requirements. But what you, you were asking a question about both, we're doing tele. We're also doing work in, in the COVID and the wellness. But when you write these algorithms and, and, you, and you save them, it's a machine that's working. And you, the machine starts working and it'll just continue working on a particular application. And then we can move to other things. It's, you can keep feeding that machine in one area to provide insights. And then you move to another machine and provide different insights. So it's very efficient. It doesn't require a lot of people to do this. So we're replacing the, the, you know, the process of trying to collect data. If you, today, if you wanted to get information on, your, on people's health, you'd have to call a doctor. You'd have to call them, how do you feel, and check your temperature, and where's your desk, and how far away are you? Are you wearing a mask? Let me walk around and see if everybody's wearing a mask. We're taking all that out of the equation, making this thing the most efficient model as possible. You know, as you're talking, I was thinking about telemedicine, right? And you've got this kind of setup where we're looking at each other. And I think about the quality of my Logitech camera, which I understand they're now in short supply because everybody's doing this kind of stuff nowadays. But I think about an enhanced device at your home for telemedicine where the data feed to the tele telephysician is enhanced and better. And that would be really a remarkable tool for telemedicine, which I think will evolve. 
But uh, yes. Bob, I actually created a, a device exactly like that. Called it the Intelliscope. It, and that's why we have some of the capabilities to, um, to do things with microscopic image and get really down into objects and look at them. Made a device that has an embedded microscope right in it. And then the device itself is, it's handheld with a touchscreen. It's a combination of an ASIC and a PC computer combined. It can do computer vision, which is basically looking at images and video to derive insights uh, at 100 frames per second. So that's an object that we actually have access to. And we've talked about what we can do with it. And for the COVID, especially for the manufacturing, it has a lot of the sensors you would need for that. So although we don't want to become a camera provider and things of that nature, we can, we have the ability and we've had capabilities to make very small pieces of computing do very big, important jobs. So absolutely, telemedicine is, is going to be huge. And I think we're, we're positioned well, our capabilities, we already know they can be portable. So somebody can have something with them that could take better diagnostics, as well as the kind of communication you and I are having. The thing that strikes me about all this is this is not a, it's in the lab, you know, maybe someday ready to go. You guys are in the field now in the utility space. And the chief difference was their utility poles, by and large, I hope are stable and staying in one spot. And the other inventory of items are moving around, but they have to come through certain gates or areas to find them. So this technology is available now. Yeah. I think that the biggest aspect to artificial intelligence and what we're doing is you got to have the problem first and then fix it with AI, where others are out developing AI and trying to find for it. So we know that the problems that they're faced with the telecom and power and people out there trying to gather information, we know the problems that are existing with people going back to work, and we're applying the AI to that. That's a huge problem because a lot of people, just for the sake of it, this happens with all technology. Like with big data, for example, people with small data sets had to have big data because big data was the newest thing. But much in the same way, for every 100 artificially intelligent solutions, you can expect, I've seen 40 to 60% where had they not used artificial intelligence, they would have been better off and had a better solution. So that we're absolutely, absolutely right what Mike is saying. We're approaching the problems. And then we're addressing them. And frankly, the artificial intelligence, we use it in conjunction in our software with traditional data methods and other, other types of things. So we don't do AI for the sake of AI. We do it where we get an advantage that we can't get anywhere else. I've heard about, uh, in many cases, with a bunch of folks in the AI space, they're a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and for you guys, it's the other way around. You're just basically pointing, you already have a solution set done. And basically, you just have another problem showed up and go, and I think about the iterative nature of what you guys are doing. So currently, it started on one spot, then it went to utility poles. Now it's in the COVID health space. And you kind of go, so the next problem comes along, you go, if it's all indicator-based, then we can take and gather the data and start creating solution sets from the data gathered. So it's this is kind of off-standard topic that we do on the podcast, but I wanted to make sure that this got out. Is there anything that I should have asked you guys about what you're doing that I didn't that you think would help the listener understand and perhaps see where you guys have a solution set for their problem? The one thing I would say is that our software, we look at the problem first, 
and we have a huge variety of solutions we can apply. So if you have a problem and it doesn't sound exactly like what we're explaining, still tell us about it. Reach out to us. Talk to us about what we can do for you because our strategy is to be flexible. Technology is changing faster and faster. And that's really what we excel at is getting the best of the best and finding out what problems we can solve with it in newer, more efficient ways. So come to us with your problems and we could tell you how we can help you. Mike? Exactly. Trevor's mind on track. I do believe that uh, the problems that are out there that people are faced with, we have solutions that we can talk to them about. And it's all about what, what Trevor said from the beginning. If you have a camera, we're all about analyzing uh, information from pixels, from the RGB to the to the security cameras, to the thermal. And that's what we're talking about is, and then taking that information and transposing it into something extremely valuable. And that's what they're seeing. They're seeing value. I tell you, Mike, I, Trevor, I appreciate the time that you spent. Trevor, I'm beginning to think I'm getting a bit of a suntan from your red light computer behind. <laughs> Very impressive graphics there. But for the folks listening, I would encourage you guys, if you're really just not sure, the worst thing you can do is not reach out. And so reach out to Trevor, reach out to Mike, and tell them what you guys have got going on and say, is there a mechanism for solving the problem? And Mike, Trevor, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys taking time. And Trevor, you're coding like a, machi- like a machine and behind, uh, which I suspect you stay behind in your coding issues. So thank you so much, guys, for taking the time and uh, telling us about what Visual Globe has done to try to help in the COVID timeframe. Well, thank you, Bob. Thanks. Thank you for allowing us to come on your show. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.